Cuckoo to the moon, it's your two favorite French bookworms. Hi, this is Helen. I'm originally from Indiana and moved to Europe after university. And I'm Miranda, born and raised in Toronto and now living and working in Ottawa. This is the podcast that explores the diversity of the francophonie. Come travel with us through dozens of countries and listen to over 300 million voices. This week on Les Bookworms, we are exploring Small Country by Diane Fai, which was published in 2016. Yes, it's really exciting because he's actually kind of a big deal. Yes, totally. For people like me, that's news, but still really interesting. And he actually has a song uh, with the same name, Petit Pays. So it's really interesting. I'm really excited to talk about it. But before we do, I will give you a little 30-second recap. Do it. (laughs) So... Small Country describes the life of a small boy living in Burundi in a period of relative peace when his innocence is brutally lost after the coup d'etat that sends uh, Rwanda and Burundi into lawlessness and war. It's an incredibly beautiful novel about childhood and the intersection of growth and tragedy. And just on a personal note, I think it's one of the best ways to describe trauma and war without exploiting that war so i'm really excited to talk about yeah i am pumped like this was by far my favorite read i think i'm allowed to rank them but like this was my favorite book of season two and i was also pre-excited like i was like ready to read this for so long (laughs) yeah yeah well like get into your first impressions because that's a good start and i'm excited to hear (laughs) what you first thought of this yeah well I definitely badgered you. I was yeah. like, hey, Brenda, so Petit Pays. And I was like, oh, by the way, um, Guy Fay was on the news tonight. Like, here's a photo. Did you know that he published this book? Like, I was insistent. But <laughs> anyway, so my first impressions was like, this is a semi-autobiographical fiction novel. But I was so excited. It's everywhere in France. It's been out for a while. But the movie version of this released last year so like it came Uh, back you know like a new print came out he did the all of the news hits that you do mm -hmm. on a release tour and he's just so cool like he blew me away and so I thought I'd just share a little context as my first impression besides my utter excitement so (laughs) Gael Faye he is a Rwandan French singer rapper and writer who previously worked in finance in London, like in the city. What? Yeah. How cool is that? He has since moved back to Kigali, the capital of Rwanda. And I've just really enjoyed all of his interviews, like the way he talks, the way he presents himself and discusses the, the book and the movie and the hype. And it's just been really, really cool. So that definitely framed my reading of this book. Oh, that's so interesting. And I like, I love when authors are more than just their book and he is like a hundred percent more than just this book yeah (laughs) i was excited to read this obviously because you were so excited and you did kind of talk about it a lot with me um and i just really on first read loved how approachable the story was like Mm -hmm. it was just it's short it's um paperback it's like it's through a 10 year old's viewpoint And it's just a great way to talk about a really important time, but like still talk about it in a way that's really understandable. And like, I find the problem with reading about heavy subjects is that they can be 
heavy and it can it can take a while to get through a book because you want to understand it and you want to know more about something but it it's it's just really taxing emotionally and this wasn't like it was really well done and i finished it really quickly and i really liked it so i'm excited to talk about all the little things he threw in because i also felt like it was a really intelligent way to present a conflict and i just really want to get into that um, our next question, what are you drinking today? I'm drinking tea to a shock of everyone, but I'm having an almond tea and it's delicious. Mm. It's so good. It's like an almond black tea. It's uh, That sounds really, it's good. really good. Really good. How about you? I'm also not original today. I got my hazelnut coffee um, because uh, yes, I just need course. some caffeine. So what language did we read the book in? I think we both read it in French. Yeah, that that's correct? exactly right. Yep. Yeah. You also told me to read it in French, and it was the most accessible book to get in French um, because, like you said, it's newer, like 2016, and it's a big deal. So I just went to my French bookstore, and they actually had it on display. So easy. Awesome. Did you have the, like, movie version as your cover? Yeah, I have, I have the, the movie version as the cover, yeah. Yeah, I got this from the library, so mine was the... OG like blue cover because it's had Aww. three or four covers now but it was it was fun that's great but anyway <laughs> not related to the language but very, very cool bookwormsy <laughs> thing and what, what kind of cover did you get what edition did you get all right so let's dive into the book and start with our first question which is what role did language play in your understanding of the book so for me, like you've already hinted at, Faye's writing style is truly remarkable because it's so accessible and it reads like a coming of age story because the narrative is through the lens of a 10 year old boy and he broaches themes that are devastating, heartbreaking and terrible, but uses the language and the experience from a point of view of a child. So it it stays there. Like you were saying, it we we confront these terrible, grotesque realities but it never breaks that 10-year-old character's narrative mm. or the way he sees the world. And so that really shapes how you approach the history and the story being conveyed. And I just really can't speak highly enough of how his use of childhood banter and slang words mm. really conveyed such a deeper meaning or message yes. when you when you read it as an adult. Yeah, what about you? I totally agree. I, I loved the language and I thought that the way that he approached childhood was really realistic but it also allowed for him to talk about something that was really awful and devastating in a way that you would to a child i i mean i liked it for ease of reading because it was just a bit easier (laughs) than some of the more academic books that we've read but going through that lens you just never lose the perspective of the child like it is it is you know really his narrative and you see everything through his eyes and i love that but I just think it's a really great way of talking about conflict because, you know, if you had a 10 year old nephew or niece, like you, this is, you know, you would explain something that's really complicated and really upsetting and maybe something you don't even want to expose them to in a really like simplistic way. I liked that he chose a 10 year old as a character and obviously it's semi autobiographical, but still it's a great way to keep the language easy about when talking about something that we know and I think part Mm -hmm. of that is as well like it does you need the audience to kind of know what the Rwandan genocide is to understand it and 
yeah, I just thought that it was a really great way to approach the topic. So I loved Gabriel. He was so cute. <laughs> but but he also like doesn't shy away. Like I, I guess I want to highlight that for our listeners is that he's not cutting corners. He's not sugarcoating what happened. You no. really do get details. It's important, like, we're going on about how simplistic or approachable it is, but, like, all of it is there. The facts are there. He does not... Oh, yeah. He does not brush over or forget to mention things. There are some hard scenes to read as well. Completely. No, that's a good point. It's not sugar-coated. Because part of that as well is that, like, your parents try and protect you from the world, but the world gets you anyway, right? I yeah. Mean, <laughs> and I think we're going into our first theme of, like, innocence and... Mm-hmm. I think innocence played such a big role in that way where your parents are trying to protect you and he's a bit, you know, better off in Burundi. Like he's in a a safer uh, neighborhood. And so his parents try to protect him from, as all parents try to do, protect him from, you know, the horrors of the world. But at some point it just gets to be, this is our lives. This is happening to us and our family and it's affecting the people around us and it's inescapable. It isn't just like that conflict over there. It's really become part of their lives. Yeah, because like to give a little context, they're in an enclave of other families that are kind of mixed in terms of one being a French parent, one being a local parent. And I think we're going to talk about that in theme two Mm -hmm. of it is so interconnected that all of these people are coming from various countries. It's not a straightforward, you know, only people from Burundi or it's such a mix. Um, And we get that from the very first chapters of like them going to a restaurant, being able to see across different borders and countries and having those relationships that are, I mean, at the heart of it, it still is very colonial, even though it's post-colonial We've talked about this throughout the whole season of like colonialism just didn't cut and dry end. His father very much has a cologne personality still, even though it's no longer the case. (laughs) Well, yeah. And we can talk about the colonial identity uh, later because it is a big theme, as you mentioned. But yeah, I think it's important to understand that his innocence is also partly Mm -hmm. created because he is he is in this like sort of special little area and it's a bit protected from i don't want to say the real world because it is a real world it has gates and security people and (laughs) it's definitely like blocked off (laughs) right yeah (laughs) yeah and and he he describes it as a paradise which is really beautiful and i i thought that that was very sweet like the innocence of when you're a kid you sort of paper over cracks like you just don't see necessarily all of the the difficulty and obviously the complexity the relationship between his parents is really complex his father like you said is from france and kind of came to africa and landed in Burundi out of basically curiosity (laughs) like he just kind of wanted to know what was going on and and whereas his mother is Rwandan and was fleeing uh violence Mm -hmm. right colonial violence I think that that's super complex but as a kid you just don't register that so I thought it was really great that the kid Gabriel is just living that way (laughs) he's so sort of totally unaware of of what that means for especially for him as the son of you know a rwandan woman but also equally like mixed and what does that mean for his identity and i also thought it was interesting the title of like small country or petit pays for me it took on a whole lot of different 
meanings throughout the book like at first I was like oh that Burundi is a small country (laughs) and like you know people kind of forget about it and then I kind of was thinking that maybe it's more his little enclave that that's the small country it's like its own little world yeah no I think you you might be onto something because it really was a world within itself and you could kind of see it as a microcosm of what was happening on the outside and again that innocence of even within his group of friends, like I already mentioned, they weren't all from the same setup or background. So you already had these divides that children didn't see. They just saw their next door neighbor and like, we're going to go out and play. We're going to go protect this alley, you know, and you started to see these microcosms of like, they were just as like protective of their little tiny bit of territory, right? their little country of that right. alleyway of like, they were going to have full out war to protect it. And it develops throughout the book is like other kids come in and and you just see how he relates. Like it's always first names and understanding it at face value. And then all of a sudden you kind of get this idea that even though he's still very innocent as a 10 year old, he's starting to understand that, well, like this butler doesn't like the driver and the driver doesn't, you know, and it starts to break down. And even within his friend group, he's like, oh, wait a second. My mom being Rwanda means something different than like his dad being from here or his mom being from here you start to see it kind of spread out yeah like, I don't know how to explain it but it, it is that innocent lens of these are just people in my world in my life and then all of a sudden when yeah. that little like when he leaves the enclave later on and he's confronted with a really grotesque reality of who these people are and their identities outside of the gates things get really real very quickly yeah Well, and maybe that speaks to when you're a kid, you think everything is about you. So like the butler only knows the driver because they both work for me and my family, right? Like it's just the world centers around you. And when you grow up a little bit more, you're like, wait, they don't like each other for reasons that have nothing to do Mm -hmm. with me. Or maybe there's something more than just what I create and push out into the world. And so I, I find that, again, that's just like his innocence in just understanding the interconnectedness of like the people in his life and and the different link linkages that they can have that have nothing to do with him yeah. or, or things that he creates right before we get too far into our second theme of interconnectedness the the school scenes really touched me because again he was in a french school and just like that innocence Aww. of like going to school and like as someone who did not grow up in a war zone did not have any instability geopolitically in my childhood it's just one of those things that touched me of like could you imagine being driven to school when it's so dangerous you know of like the continuing with the normal when things are falling apart and and it's scary and it's just one of those things that like I know that's a story throughout the world and other books and things that happen all the time every day for other people but again that touched on the innocence of you really just felt like he was like, well, I just want to go to school and see my friends. Like he didn't get how dangerous it was and what was happening. I think that also speaks to how are you supposed to talk to kids about, Mm -hmm. no, the world is different right now. And we're not like, we can't be normal or, or normal can't be like that. Like we, you know, I am sure the parents are (laughs) struggling with that now, given the pandemic of like, how do you talk about the world being different? Oh, hold on. Yeah, like that was fine last year, but right now it's different. But I think that his dad also, I don't know if he, I don't know if it's a good way, the way he describes the conflict between the Hutu and Tutsi, but he 
specifically says basically that <laughs> they're fighting because their noses are different. Yeah. So I have two minds about this. One is, wow, that is such an oversimplification of like something that was created by colonialism and like has like deep historical roots in terms of like their identities as Hutus and Tutsis. It, it was just like, okay, that that's a wild oversimplification of an issue. At the same time, he's explaining it to a child. And I think it's, if you take it in the best light, he's kind of saying they're fighting about nothing. Like they're fighting about being different from each other and how that difference needs to be codified Mm. in a structure of power. And that's like really stupid, right? And I think that sometimes kids have a, like they're both conductors of racism that is in society, but also they're the easiest ones to be like that's really stupid where there's no difference between me and that person you know and I I I struggle with whether (laughs) that answer is like him trying to protect his son or him being a colon who doesn't know anything yeah like you said so often conflict through the eyes of a child seems so irrational and silly and then adults like can justify with thousands of pages of text why yeah <laughs> this needs to be you're done right. and you're at the end of the day you're as a child you're like yeah it boils down to some pretty not great reasons um and yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah there's not always a really easy reason for why parents get divorced or why countries fight each other like there isn't a there isn't always a good like they're fighting because of x right yeah and this is certainly one that's you know Rwandan genocide is like boiled over tensions and it's 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 not easy to explain that there's this just this history that has led up to this point you know yeah absolutely well let's get into our second thing the interconnectedness of the culture in Central Africa and we've already hinted at it like I think it's hard to talk about this book without totally saying from literally page one you understand how all of these countries histories weave together and the reality of what is weaves together well and one of the reasons from page one that you kind of get that is because the father has a uh, a conversation with gabrielle about essentially geopolitics yeah. <laughs> i mean basically i just wanted to point out because it's fresh in my mind because i just had a conversation with my partner and his uh company is trying to translate uh, software that they use all the time into as many languages as possible because they're he works in like product delivery and their drivers uh, are super diverse and come from uh, like across Canada, come from so many different countries, like I think over a hundred. And so they're trying to translate it as much as possible. So it's just easier for new immigrants to be able to like work in their language, especially because English is often their like third language. (laughs) But one of the things they came across was that there are just so many languages and someone actually asked, which was maybe less adorable because you're like 40 and you're asking this but someone asked like why is why are there so many languages from the same country and they were referencing like Nigeria I think one of the points that I would say is like when we think about Central Africa anywhere in Africa we have to again go back to Leopold's ghost of someone drew this on a map right like this is an area that was created one of the reasons why there's so much diversity in a certain area is because you know it's it's a created 
border. That did not respect culture or language or people. Right. Like people didn't say, okay, people stop speaking like uh, Kirawandan here. And that's where Rwanda ends. So anyway, I thought that that was something to point out about the interconnectedness, not just of culture, but of language in Africa <laughs> is like a lot of the time borders mean nothing because we, Europe created those borders. Well, right? I would also like tag on just from season one, the Tour de France par des enfants. We forget that not long ago, there wasn't codified language. Like, even in French, yeah, they didn't have a codified language. And shout out to the Europeans, which is another podcast that everyone should listen to. <laughs> but they just did an episode and yeah. on Southern Italy, and they talked about how language wasn't codified until, like, the 80s. Like, I'm sorry. It's, yeah. it's not that long ago that, you know, dialects were still very present. Now they're rare. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things that we've forgotten that it's not mm-hmm. it's not necessarily based on linguistics that countries formed even older countries. Right. You know, it's just it's war. It's local. Like, I don't even know local m- municipalities that defined life for so long. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely a great point, especially really relevant to Africa. But beyond that, like just. Let's not forget how much like policy yeah. can change within lifetimes. <laughs> Completely. And 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 I think the the effect of that is so quick. Mm-hmm. Like in terms of history, a hundred years of only speaking one type of French means that everybody starts to speak only one type of French. And when you go to France now, dialects are rare. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I want to talk about with the interconnectedness is just the closeness of Burundi to Rwanda. So it's just south of Rwanda. In the story, we see the conflict, as we've discussed, being talked about as sort of like happening somewhere or it's it's going on and it gets to the point where family members are fleeing to go south. The violence has come to the south of um, and to the, you know, the borders of Burundi. I don't know. I again, it's just in my mind because it's something I work on at, at work. But it remind it talks to me a lot about like migration mm-hmm. and immigration and how the interconnectedness of culture a lot of the time stems from conflict. Even not just in Africa, but in Europe and North America, because of conflict, people move and 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 because of that, culture is newly infused. And so the interconnectedness of Burundi and Rwanda we see from. Gabrielle's mom mm-hmm. because she is Rwandan and she f- fled Rwanda <laughs> for violence but we also see that generational violence I guess because she's fleeing violence she comes to Burundi creates a life and then eventually violence comes again to the family from Rwanda or like from an outside place right. um, and I don't know I thought that that was a good way of explaining how this stuff just doesn't go away like she has a history of violence and then it comes up again and so that just culture reinfusing itself between these two places which are r- relatively small countries when you when related to their neighbors what did you think about that identity <laughs> you know i'm not gonna pretend that i am an expert on what happened the rwandan genocide occurred when we were both too young to be aware of it. Um, yeah. So this is all things we've learned afterwards. But, you know, the, the book really showed how quickly 
it devolved in Burundi. Like the situation really mm. moved fast. The yeah. coup d'etat started happening. The the violence against other people from Burundi were happening all very quickly. It, it reminded me a lot of like the the Balkan Wars in the 1990s as well, of just how quickly the mm. dominoes can fall and affect other places. And then you start touching on all sorts of different things. So like, uh, that's not really related to the Francophonie, but to me it was very similar of just how quickly things can cross borders and affect others. Yeah. And to me, the the, the mother figure was just heartbreaking. To, that was one character yeah. that I think pushed the boundaries of childhood and towards the end of the book he is an adult and comes back as an adult and you get a little bit more perspective but her life is so tragic and the scenes and the chapters that follow her specifically are some of the hardest to read part of the passage is graphic like when she is back in Rwanda and is searching for her family and what she finds it it is it was the hardest part for me to read and even just how her life continues it's it's tragic and it's hard to know you know that she was so affected by what occurred and the trauma that happened that her life never gets back to what it was before no and and that again innocence that innocence that she may have had in the 70s when she was fleeing violence is still like once again damaged there's just not even a shred of it left right yeah yeah, but she she as a person really embodied the interconnectedness of how much her life and her family spread across different borders yeah. and even, you know, her her relationship uh, with a French husband and what that meant for her children and her importance of making sure they had the passport. Yeah. Like that was a big thing and it wound up yeah. saving them. So like you see even before the war breaks out that this was something she wanted for her, her children. Yeah, absolutely. But that kind of goes to the colonial themes a bit. <laughs> yeah, let, let's expand on that because the relationship, again, as you said, she's like a, a character that just is an embodiment of the interconnectedness that he's, I think, trying to portray. Um, the father is an embodiment of colonialism, right? Like he yeah. is blissfully to himself unaware of, of the complications of being... Um, uh, French and in living in Burundi and having you know a Rwandan wife and then a mixed child and like he just seems to be I don't want to say unaware but like he just seems to not care and I think that that comes from the privilege of you know nobody questions going to question him he's he's the French man right and mm-hmm. like the the power that um, colonial figures still had even in like you know, this book is essentially in the 90s. Like, this is recent history. <laughs> um, yeah. But he he's, a, a, I think, an embodiment of that identity, at least in the book. Um, he was an interesting character because, I yeah. again, I struggled with whether he was trying to protect innocence or if he was really just that unaware and untouched and I think a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, right? Like he's probably both. Yeah. Um, how did you find his uh, like uh, infusion into into Gabrielle's world? I didn't like him so much. I think I think 
it would be fair to say it was probably more privilege than thinking about his children just from other Mm -hmm. things he decided to do you know like leaving a 10 year old and his little sister who I can't quite remember she was six or seven I mean two young children when bombs are going off when gang violence is occurring and he's going to see his new girlfriend and let them spend the night alone in the house I was just like "Mm, dad not a good not a good call dad not a good call that's true (laughs) and so like just through his decisions and how he handles life and who he associates with I I just felt like he was more of someone that didn't see the issues because he didn't have to until the war came and then then he was called to see it and he paid the ultimate price but it was one of those things that I just I don't think he really lived in the same world as everyone else in a way yeah I think that that's totally accurate and I think that that's what people talk about with racism in North America, um, but obviously historically colonialism, um, which is like, you just don't have to, if if you're a white person, you just don't have to see what you don't want to see. And he really didn't have to experience, until it was right on his doorstep, he really didn't have to um, experience the reality of the world that his wife or (laughs) ex-wife, Gabrielle's mother, knew. Like, she didn't, she didn't have the privilege of, and even Gabrielle didn't have the privilege of saying, I'm not going to experience this. I don't want this to be a part of my childhood. I want to, you know, I want it to continue to be a paradise. Like, they didn't have that choice. Yeah. Well, and then his choice to send his kids to France, that was the, basically the only option left to save them. Like, it, it really became very violent. But I don't think as a father, he would have realized what that means to send two mixed children to France alone and what they would have to face either. You know, to be fair, right. like he he did it all that he could, but I don't think that was ever um and I don't think he understood that their experience in France would be different than his. Like I think he was yeah. like, I'm sending my kids to France, they'll be okay. And I think that's hard when you send two young children without their parents to a, a, well basically it was a foreign world. They had French citizenship, they carried French passports, but they didn't have the tools equipped you know to handle that transition even in the best of times right like even if it was outside of the the traumatic war experience that they had like if they had decided to move to France as a family years before like I think that still would have been a shock that his kids didn't have the same experience or reality for him yeah absolutely well let's talk and about whether this book really questions the idea of the francophonie. Let's end off on that. Does it go against the grain? Does it stay stereotypical? How did you feel about this? I think it absolutely expanded the francophonie for me because this book is a modern story that happened so recently and involves so many different aspects mm. of what it means to be French in different contexts. Um, it's like we just talked about the the necessity of the passport, the obsession of like becoming French, having that as a safety, you know, Frenchness was a safety net. Um, and that was so interesting to see. And it, it touches on, it touches like many of the other books this season on the lingering colonial imagination, the real or imagined. And it, I also learned from this short novel and I continued research because of course I was like, Oh, I don't know <laughs> some of these things. And I was looking, you know, Googling as I read, cause I think that's the sign of a great book when you're so inspired that you mm-hmm. need to follow up. But it really was 
interesting to see a fuller story behind these events to to fill yeah. in get more of a human personal perspective and i just thought fi as a as the author himself is amazing representation of the francophony of his experience of his life what he's accomplished where he's gone where yeah. he chooses to live i mean it's just it's an amazing embodiment of the expansiveness of the francophony and that's what we try to talk about in this podcast is this is out not just France. This is the world over the Francophony. Yeah, and I, I totally, I, that's my, what my point, point was going to be, was that the author himself is just so infused into this. And I know it's semi-autobiographical. It isn't completely an autobiography, but like it is really an amazing book. And I think it shows just, you can sort of understand his up, upbringing and who, the, like you better understand him as a person mm-hmm. by understanding you know, growing up with the distance between, like, a Rwandan mother and a colonial French father. And then, you know, growing up in Burundi and being affected by the the genocide in Rwanda and then moving to France. And, like, all of that just creates who he is today. And it's, I thought it was a really cool way of um, getting me way more interested in him as a person. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, like you said, it, it, it totally expands the idea of the francophonie and um i don't want to say it goes against the grain but i want to say like i want to read more books about conflict like this because yeah. i think it's it just doesn't exploit the conflict and it's something that not to say that our other books have but i just think sometimes the reality of the situation can turn into like torture porn and it's just tra- or trauma porn even like it's just trying to make it the saddest possible and this wasn't because it was through the eyes of a child. It was really trying to protect both the child and, like, the reader a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, so I I really loved it as just how to write a book about something <laughs> that is incredibly complex and upsetting and grotesque and, like, atrocious. But at the same time, like, not sugarcoating it. Um, but also not exploiting the pain that real people felt in recent history. I agree. I I really enjoyed this book for, for exactly that reason. And I would read a book like this on any conflict or trauma because I think it is so important, like we've said, to learn and to understand what happened. But it is taxing. It is hard. And you're right. Sometimes it gets to the point where you're like, is this actually helpful for the people that right. experienced it? But Yeah. Ugh. Well, let's move to the French moment of the week. So... My French moment of the week is a bit going to ruin the surprise, but I may have sent a package to France and I'm really excited about that. So I got to, anytime I get to send anything anywhere in this pandemic, I'm just really excited. So yeah. Well, that is exciting. To whom is this package being delivered? To my best friend. Oh, <laughs> how exciting. <laughs> Well, I was going to say my French moment of the week is also you. So like, this is hilarious that we (laughs) both have French moments (laughs) about each other. Because I was watching one of my fave French like family shows, which is called Fait pas si, fait pas ça, which I think Mm. I mentioned before. Yeah. But it's when Fabienne goes to Quebec for three weeks. (gasps) And so it has a bunch of Quebecois in it. And it was so funny because I'm rewatching it. And I was like, wait a second. I know what chum is now. Like, I was like, oh, I could actually 
pick out words and like understand the Quebecois accent much better. And I made me think of you because I was like, thanks, Miranda. I now know yeah. what these <laughs> these words are and I could totally follow <laughs> um, the episode better. So well, anyways, thought of you're you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for exploring the Francophonie with us. Whether you're just getting started or many miles down the road, just remember that language holds up a mirror and helps us to understand ourselves and the world around us. There are always new stories to share and to hear. Next time on Les Bookworms, Petit Pays. A bientôt! A bientôt!